0: Welcome to The World Below, The War in the Heavens, a podcast exploring the adventure, the intrigue and the magic of a land that lies beneath the celestial battle between gods and demons, a clash that has gone on since time immemorial. I'm your guide, your interlocutor and your host, Michael Pryor. Welcome, everyone to episode 15 of the World Below the War in the Heavens podcast, the fifth episode of season two. This one is all about Jallox, the land of water, wind and war. After our deep dive into four successive Anaquistian monarchs, it's time for a thematic episode. And this one is all about the southerly, daunting, forbidding, surprising island of Jalox the Wonder Box of the World Below the War in the Heavens. We've had 14 episodes of this podcast now, and I've already mentioned Jell-Ox a handful of times, so it's probably time for a background up. For a place that's actually not part of the single continent that makes up this world, it has had a remarkable influence, and its people punch well above their weight history-wise with many Jaloxians playing important roles in major events and historical moments. blackguards, adventurers, thinkers, thieves, warriors, storytellers, heroes and villains. The doobie doo Jalox has had them all and more besides, so it's worth exploring this place and its people to see why it's honoured, feared, admired and praised. First up, the natural world of Jellox. Jellox is a large island separated from the mainland continent by a 200-mile stretch of stormy waters, which is probably a bit of an understatement. The strait that separates Jellox from the mainland is treacherous, open to the wild winds that circled the globe at this latitude, and the true test of any sailing vessel. The strait separates Jellox from the mainland in a psychological sense too, Jaloxians have always considered themselves apart from the rest of the world below the war in the heavens, separate and better, more hardy, more independent, more resourceful, more good-looking, and pointedly braver than mainlanders. Almost naturally, this has meant that people from the rest of the world below the war in the heavens are suspicious of Jaloxians and even, in some cases, hold them in contempt as backwater yokels. Disputes arising from this difference of opinion are the mainstay of harbour taverns along the coast of both Jalox and the continent. The island is roughly 500 miles from north to south, and about that from east to west. Both of these measurements taken as if Jalox was a square, which it isn't. It's it's roughly heart-shaped, with a pointy end, if you like, aimed south. A rugged mountain range runs through the middle of the island north to south, but plenty of other ridges, hills, and crags abound all over Jellox. Rivers spill down either side of the central range and tumble their way to the sea. The northwest of Jellox is particularly wet, with many lakes, but also bogs, swamps, and wetlands of all kinds. The climate is determined by its southerly latitude, the south being exposed to the polar weather, and the north, rather more benign and we mustn't forget the prevailing and robust westerly winds. Generally, Jallox is stormy, chilly, windy, bracing in winter but clement in summer and spring. This makes some of Jallox very, very fertile. Some of the river valleys, for instance, host all sorts of vegetation and farmlands, but a great deal of it is bleak, rocky and fairly inhospitable. Let it be said that there's been a great deal of competition for the best land over the centuries, one way or another. The wildlife on jell is like the wildlife on the continent, but more so, if you like. It has many of the same species, but they're often in variant mode, usually larger versions of the same sorts of animals that live over the water to the north. Lots of reptiles, in other words, but if the large monitor lizards on the continent are formidable on Jellocks, they're phenomenal. These apex predators can reach 5 metres in length on the continent, but outstanding specimens on Jallox are reputed to grow to nearly twice that size. They are much revered by the Jaloxians, and are one of the few animals that aren't hunted. It's suspected that this pattern is a result of what's called island gigantism, but it's been theorised that the island has been struck by an unusual number of heavenfalls in the past and perhaps a concentration of scales and or artefacts has influenced the evolution of some beasts and plants. Magically Induced Species Variation sounds like an academic paper title, one that would crop up as a last-minute replacement for racier stuff like Stripey Animals, Inbuilt Cuteness, and Four Legs Good, Two Legs Bad, A Controversial View. You know, the sort of thing. The fierceness of the terrain has led to fierce inhabitants not simply of the human type either. The large, flightless, carnivorous birds that roam the continent are also present on Jallox and are perhaps even larger and more fearsome. Jallox is also the home of large amphibians who populate the rivers and lakes and wrestle with fresh water and marine reptiles for supremacy. Crossing any river or creek on Jallox is a dangerous undertaking, with frogs the size of cattle, ready to make a meal of anything that looks tasty. At night, their croaking can be deafening. Jalox is densely wooded thanks to the plentiful rain and includes many trees that grow more than 400 feet tall. The timber from such trees is hard, well-wearing and excellent for woodworking. The seas around Jalox are teeming with fish and this supports many very active fishery communities – and dried or salted fish is a major commodity from this part of the world. Their smoked resis are a particular delicacy, apparently. The rugged mountains of Jelox are good sources of sought-after metals, tin, copper, iron, but also the precious stuff, including gold and silver. And there are actually a few very closely guarded platinum mines. The Geloxian People Jaloxians are said to be like their weather, wild, roaring and unpredictable, but tending to extremes. Many Jaloxians live on the coast, and since the interior is so mountainous and so wooded, travel by water is often the most efficient way of getting around. Over the centuries, Jaloxians have become expert mariners and fishers, well attuned to the vagaries of wind and water. In coastal communities, it's often said that children can swim before they can talk and sail before they can walk. Such is the reputation of Jaloxian sailors that they are much in demand to helm the ships in navies, merchant fleets and fishing enterprises of the world below the war in the heavens. Also, smuggling is a traditional way of life for many families, crossing the strait to the continent with sought-after Jaloxian goods, including the famous and very potent distilled liquor, which has a character that can't be attained anywhere else in the world below the war in the heavens. Naturally, shipbuilding has gone hand in hand with this expertise in sailing. Once again, shipwrights from Jallox are keenly sought after in realms on the continent that have harbours, and a number of communities on the coasts of Jallox are devoted to shipbuilding, each with their own specialty, merchant vessels or military craft or or even luxury yachts for the well-off. Some of these shipbuilders have developed specialised ways of incorporating magic into their vessels, very particular spells that help with water tightness or maybe reduce fouling and waterworm damage. The adepts who perform these tasks are much prized and extremely well rewarded, a case of trade secrets and jealously guarded. The dark side of this maritime capability is piracy. Despite loud protestations from every coastal community in Jellox, there's no doubt that pirates, singly or in tight concentrated fleets, have come from Jellox and raided towns and settlements up and down the coasts of the continent, and have done so for centuries. These pirates have been officially disavowed by Jelloxian leaders, but this sort of activity is well built into the economy of the island. Piracy tends to wax and wane often depending on matters like success or failure of harvests, or good or bad years in the fisheries. Realms, city-states and kingdoms on the continent have sometimes banded together to scourge the threat. But the supreme skill of the Jaloxian sailors makes this a difficult task. If outnumbered or overmatched, the Jaloxians simply slip away, reading the wind and the tides better than their often lumbering enemies. The difference between a Jaloxian pirate and a Jaloxian explorer or adventurer is often a matter of interpretation, or, more bluntly, a matter of either opportunity or a matter of whose side you're on. Jaloxian tales and songs tell about some of the captains or admirals who sail the high seas, and these praise their daring, their skill, and their ability to bring home enormous piles of booty. If the continent has any mention of these same seafarers, they're often painted as bloodthirsty monsters who are happy to laugh at drowning innocents after setting fire to ships they've looted. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. All in all, Jalox has bred sturdy types, able to live in conditions that are most difficult year-round. Small groups have dominated ever since recorded history, and even in contemporary times, Jalox hosts only two or three sizeable cities. The tradition has been for clans, loose family affiliations, small landholders, and essentially, over time, warlords, who offer protection in exchange for fealty. This was the Jaloxian way for a few thousand years, essentially, and a way of life that's encouraged lots of raids and skirmishes between neighbours, but also make-up celebrations where old grudges are buried. Jaloxians have always had a great oral tradition, and they've valued poets, storytellers, and singers as much as they value warriors. Of course, a poet-warrior is a double threat, and much admired. For centuries, the height of Jaloxian culture was a knight in a long hall, a mighty fire in the middle around which Jaloxians would carouse with old enemies, now friends, and swap songs and stories about legendary figures, each tale more outrageous than the last. Their maritime tradition has spawned a fascinating subset of tales which tell of mighty mariners who many years ago, many generations ago, not only circumnavigated the island of Jalox, but circumnavigated the whole continent, that is, the world below the war in the heavens. And having done so, came back home to Jallox, having found nothing worth their interest in that great lump of land to the north. Throughout the history of the world below the war in the heavens, Jaloxians have been prized as mercenaries, either singly or as Jaloxian battalions, units or brigades in foreign armies. Their ferocious reputation in battle and their tendency to sing wild and skirling songs as they advance has often been enough to have opposition troops reconsidering their decision to join up. Retreating in the face of Jaloxians is mostly seen as a rational and life-saving manoeuvre and has been much endorsed over the centuries. (laughs) Famous Jaloxians actually, before looking at some of the famous people in Jaloxian history, I'd like to delve into some of the famous non-people in Jaloxian history. And by that I mean the figures from song and story, the swaggerers, tricksters and heroes who are still revered in modern Jaloxian culture. These stories have been passed down, part of the oral tradition since the earliest days in Jalox, and, naturally, Variations exist all over the place, often tweaked to suit local sensibilities and preferences. Still, common veins of narrative exist, and I'm going to draw from these. Helda the Wanderer, one of the consistently most popular figures in the Jaloxian story Trove. Helda features in dozens of tales, and she's almost always represented as courageous, brave, but also wily and opportunistic, in a good way. She's a fearsome fighter, but is more often noted for talking her way out of situations. Not quite a trickster figure, she's more a chameleon-like hero. And like many who can trace their lineage back to ancient ancient times, she has some sort of naturalistic magic about her, enough to shape natural features and landscape, and not always on purpose. An example of this is the tale that is told where Helda the Wanderer destroyed the land bridge that once connected Jellox with the mainland. The story goes that Helda often used this land bridge and strode across it to pick up all sorts of delicacies she couldn't find in Jellox. A giant of a woman, she was particularly partial to tropical fruit. And as none grew on Jellox and were only available in the far north of the continent, that's where she regularly went returning with bulging sack loads on her back. On one such journey, however, she'd laden herself with so much fruit that she was struggling when she came to the start of the bridge over the wild water. Looking for a better way to get her fruit home, she put it down and then heaved, hauled and lifted the north end of the land bridge with the notion that if she got it up high enough and made a good enough slope, she could roll the fruit all the way across it to Jellocks. Naturally, this didn't go as planned, and instead of creating a lovely inclined ramp, her efforts broke the land bridge into many parts that crumbled and fell into the sea. Hands on her knees, panting and blowing at the effort it had cost her for no result, Hilda saw the way that her puffing contested with the prevailing wind that was gusting from west to east, and so on the spot she invented sailing. And after felling a number of trees... She also invented shipbuilding, as is the way with these legends of yore. This is typical of the adventures of Helda the Wanderer. She's always lifting mountains to search for treasure and then dropping them on her toe, then kicking the mountain with her other foot, thereby creating the fabulous encrusted cave system in the Half-Aware Valley, or trapping echoes that she uses to confuse her enemies, or wrestling with water dragons before making up with them and and becoming best friends. A primeval archetype of a hero, she embodies many of the qualities that Jaloxians prize, such as bravery, song-making, and an ability not to worry about looking foolish as long as it's in a good cause. Naturally, folklore being folklore, the Jaloxians see themselves reflected in the stories of the heroes. Or, rather, they see the heroes reflected in themselves and the qualities they prize. Jaloxian stories abound with similar figures, perhaps not as outrageous and outlandish as Helder the Wanderer, but all with their own foibles and charm. Many stories also feature talking animals, but also sentient plant life and, an interesting vein here, natural features that are aware, such as rocks, rivers and mountains, alive and mobile. The Aware Landscape is how J. L. Humagar put it in her seminal work Archetypes in Jaloxian Folk Tales, uh, Hallmark University Press, 1976, which, by the way, is a pretty eccentric text, but it does have the best joke I've ever read in any academic book ever, and I do believe it's intentional. If we now turn to historical figures from Jalox, many of them are famous on a local level and are often spoken about through the generations for their leadership or deeds on the battlefield, but they aren't very well known outside their local community. Fiercely independent, Jalox is a place of small collectives and communities, as was mentioned before, but a few figures rise above this sort of neighbourhood fame into something more substantial. You the Aniquist, of course, is one of these, and probably the most famous Jaloxian of all time. Adventurer, freebooter, and possibly, probably pirate for some of her early adulthood, she went on to claim the most significant heavenfall of all time, and thereby founded the realm of Aniquist, the most important state in all of history of the world below the War in the Heavens. She's been covered elsewhere, in seasons 2 and 3 of season 1, so I won't spend much time on her here, other than to note that you can't talk about famous Geloxians without mentioning her. I could devote a whole episode to her early life in Jalox, and as soon as I say that I think I might actually do that at some time, but not now. Instead, I'm going to explore the life of the second most famous Jaloxian, Scorgus the Red who lived and died in the late 12th and early 13th century, and is the epitome of the swaggering, adventuring Jaloxian leader, renowned not just for his deeds in Jalox, but for the way he left his mark wherever he went on the continent. Scorgus the Red, needless to say, is a redhead, renowned for his bright orange hair that he often wore in multiple braids, and also for his beard, also bright orange. After being a local war leader, but being banished by his father over a misunderstanding involving sheep, he goes to the mainland and enlists in the Anaquistian army, quickly rising through the ranks to leadership positions due to a combination of proficiency with weapons, madcap courage and tactical nous. He's praised for his deeds in several battles of the time and he is greatly rewarded when he stands alone between King Kwam and the Second and the rightfully feared Inner League of the so-called Gold Emperor of the Wastelands, a score or more of fanatical and highly trained killers who had the sole duty of seeking out the enemy leader and killing them with no regard for their personal safety. The Inner League had cut their way through Kwaman II's bodyguard and the king was standing defenceless. Scorgus, who had been lingering with some camp followers until he was rebuffed by them, was dawdling on his way back to his unit when he saw the parlous situation. Wailing a Jaloxian battle cry, he flung himself into the fray and put himself between the inner league warriors and the king and held off the fanatics until an reinforcements arrived. He was later reported to have been disappointed that he hadn't received a facial scar in the fight one the people would in future times ask how it happened, and thereby give him the opportunity to talk about the day he saved the king. In his early thirties, despite many offers to advance to very senior positions in the Anaquistian army, Scorgus declared he'd had enough and resigned his commission to go a roaming. He spent some time unsuccessfully as a scale prospector, spent some other time in the interior getting to know the watercourses and river valleys and deserts, as well as the secretive people who lived there. He also did a bit of sailing around the north coast of the continent and even traded into the large island of Vesbeseli to the north, a dangerous and mystical tropical land of contrasts with high mountain ranges, raging rivers and jungles that can swallow up whole cities. Naturally, he was rumoured to have found and lost several treasures during this time before he went back to his best skill base, the military. In his early forties, Scorgus the Red gathered a small group of trusted friends and with them, as a trusted corps of expertise, he began to form what was later known as the Scorgus Brigade. The Scorgus Brigade was a mercenary army, more or less, a band of highly trained professional soldiers under the command of Scorgus the Red and his lieutenants, ready for hire by any realm that needed an army or whose army was simply not up to the job of defending itself within a few years it had gained an outstanding reputation for efficiency and when required ruthlessness a kingdom city-state or realm of any kind simply had to let it be known that they'd hired the scorgus brigade and often that was enough to make any invader think twice turn around and look for easier targets, mumbling that they really didn't want to invade in the first place anyway. The Scorgus Brigade was famed for its success in the Battle of Beaten Ground, 1198, the Harzen War, 1205, and the Defence of Lawser, 1210. All military triumphs coming from a combination of grit, courage, tactics and logistics. Scorgus the Red never leaving his troops poorly fed or poorly paid. They were totally loyal to him, thanks to this sort of leadership. Once the Scorgus Brigade was running well, Scorgus suffered from his perpetual malaise, that of itchy feet. And while his Scorgus Brigade was off fighting elsewhere with his trusted lieutenants in charge, he began to hire himself out to command armies around the rest of the continent. This gave Scorgus multiple revenue streams, a nice little earner. But it did give rise to the embarrassing Afla War where he found himself commanding an army invading the small city-state of Afla, which had hired the Scorgus Brigade to defend it. At least the matter was decided without any actual battle or bloodshed, Scorgus meeting his lieutenants and coming to a quick negotiated settlement over several crates of Jaloxian liquor. Scorgus died at home in Jalox, a home that he'd used his accumulated riches to buy a small island off the northeast coast, one that was easily defended and also easy to reach from the continent. His stronghold was renowned for its strength and its large larder full of tropical fruit. Jalox and Jaloxians have played an inordinately large part in the history of the world below the war in the heavens, striding through its pages with swagger and often glamour. Their ability to carouse, entertain, and embrace is legendary, and their military skills continue to be prized in modern days, with Jaloxians often found in very senior military positions right across the continent. Jalox, the wonder box of the world below the war in the heavens. A great place to visit, and you know, you might actually like to live there. That's all for episode 15 of the World Below the War in the Heavens podcast. Next episode, Tristan the Poisoner. This has been the World Below the War in the Heavens, a podcast exploring the history, culture and esoterica of the world below, a continent of magic and mystery with inhabitants who keep one eye on the sky at all times. I've been your host, Michael Pryor. If you'd like to find out more about me and my books, pop over to www.michaelprior.com.au. Farewell.